God dwells amongst us. But Paul doesn't just leave it there. How does that happen? Well, in verses 7 to 12 is what we're going to look at just now. And I'll read those as he answers that question. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, as I say, I'm not going to take a lot of time doing this and I I want to spend a, a fair amount of time on that phrase about attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ and as I said, you, you'd have to be here next Sunday for that. But what's said here is really, really important in terms of how we grow and develop as God's people. Unity in the church does not mean that we are clones. We come from different characters. I mean, tonight's a wee bit unusual, but you know, it's, it's great to have someone from France and Spain and England and Ukraine. And you'll find that uh, coming in the door and met someone from Cameroon and uh, even Dundee uh, and people of different ages, it's great. We have different cultures, different temperaments, different personalities, different backgrounds, which is why some of you, when I make a very serious point, laugh because you think it's funny. And some of you, when I make what I consider to be incredibly humorous, look at me as though I'm completely mad because we have different backgrounds, cultures and so on. But what Paul is referring to here is the diversity that occurs within the church because of the different gifts that God gives us for the enrichment of our common life. And Jenny read in 1 Corinthians 12, and you'll find the same language also in Romans 12. Uh, These three passages are the key passages that look at the gifts within the church. And I'm just going to make some very simple points and applications. Firstly, verses 7 to 10 teach us that Christ gives us gifts. It is Jesus who determines the gifts and graces. We do not go to God and tell him what gifts he is going to give us. Each of us has been given grace as Christ apportioned it. Now the word grace here is not saving grace, as in chapter 2 verse 5 or chapter 2 verse 8, but it's serving grace. It's charis, the grace which enables us to serve. Because if we're going to serve in our own strength, we are going to really struggle. Grace is charis, gifts of grace are charismata. The unity of the church is due to charis grace. The diversity is due to charismata. God's gifts distributed to church members. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are work the work of one and the same spirit and he gives to each one as he determines. Jesus is the one who through his spirit gives gifts for the good of the church. And that's why that psalm is quoted that we sung here, Psalm 68. 
Now, those of you who are incredibly astute and wide awake will, will see instantly that there's a problem in that quotation. And I'm almost tempted to ask, ask you. But the problem is there. It stares you absolutely in the face. Because that's not what the psalm says. When he said on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. But we just read that he received gifts from men. Is this Paul? Does Paul not know his Bible? Did the Spirit not inspire this? Is this one of the contradictions in the Bible? A very basic mistake? Is this Paul assuming that people would not have read the Old Testament? Not at all. There is a problem. But it's not a contradiction. This is a, a, a just, I'm, I'm just saying this because it's a good principle for understanding the Bible. Always understand context. Over and over again say context, context, context. In the ancient world, when a conqueror returned from battle, he not only received gifts, but he gave gifts. That was it, always. He always gave gifts, he always received gifts. And the spoils from the captives were divided. The word that is used in the, the psalm, he gave gifts to men, or he received gifts from men, it's one word that means, can mean either. And in fact, when, when we translate it into our, our language, we, we have to put one or the other. But both were true. It is both true that the conqueror received gifts, and it's also true that the conqueror gave gifts. And here, this Psalm, Psalm 68, which was traditionally used in the synagogues at Pentecost, the Jewish feasts associated with the giving of the law, what Paul is saying here is, as Moses received the law, so Christ received the Spirit and gave him to his people in order to write God's law in their hearts, to receive the truth, and to be equipped for service. That's why in Acts 2 and verse 33, we read this. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And what Paul is telling us, and it doesn't contradict any other part of the Bible, instead it exalts it and explains it, is that Jesus, when he, when he rose from the, the, the grave and then when he ascended into heaven, that he returned to heaven as a conquering king and he received gifts, he gave gifts. He has taken captive the very powers that bound us. He brings gifts. They're not just the gifts of the Spirit, but the gifts of the triune God. In 1 Corinthians 12, they're described as the gift of the Spirit. In here, they're described as the gifts of Christ. And in Romans 12, they're described as the gifts of the Father. I didn't know that until this week. And I just thought it was lovely to find that out. But you, of course, knew it all. I'm just saying we've heard all this before. But I think it's wonderful. And it's amazing how the Trinity is, is brought in here again. What are those gifts? That's what we have as a church from God. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 says, There are varieties of gifts. The five lists, uh, lists between Romans, Ephesians, and Corinthians list about 20 gifts. And I don't think that these are meant to be exhaustive. Paul mentions only five gifts in particular here. And I want just to mention what they have to do with us. We are told 
that uh, there were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They are gifts of God. Apostles are the sent ones. Literally, that's what it means. Apostles of the churches. The messengers. Some have understood that to mean missionaries. And there is a case for arguing that Tom and Jan Courtney are apostles. But don't tell them that. There's a case for arguing that Max is an apostle. There's a case for arguing um, that Will Traub is an apostle at one level. Messengers. However, in the Bible, the term apostle is used in two different ways. And again, it's back to this. Context, context, context. There are the twelve apostles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and so on. And we don't have them. And they do not continue. And when someone claims that kind of apostolic authority, you say to them, were you with Jesus for three years? Did you see him? And the answer is no. We don't have apostles like that. The church is built on that foundation. But there's another use of the word word apostle in in terms of being sent. uh, And and it's possible that we could say that uh, that still exists. Prophets. A prophet was a person who stood in the counsel of God. Prophet was a mouthpiece of direct revelation. And in that sense, I would want to argue that there are no prophets today in the sense of someone who stands up and who speaks the words of God directly given him to by, by the Spirit, which are not the word of God as we have it inscripturated or written down, hence why we call it Scripture. Chapter 2, verse 20 says this, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, I believe that there is prophetic ministry. It is understanding and applying the word. But you have to be really, really careful when you get people standing up and saying, God has said this, or God says this, and God has told me this, and they're not teaching the Word of God. Now, the reason that happens is because people make a mistake about the Bible. They think the Bible was the Word of God to people back then with applications for us today. And that every time you listen to a sermon, it's a bit like listening to a lecture, and it's a bit like listening to a history lesson, and you're going, oh, here we go again, Sinai, Mount Sion, what's that got to do with me? Um, Why can't God speak about the law, hill, that is, not mosaic, Why can't God speak about the law? Why can't he speak about the River Tay? And um, why can't he speak about Britain and so on? Well, because God isn't that kind of parochial. And amazingly, he's inspired his word so that it still speaks directly to us today. The letter to the Ephesians is as directly for you and me today as it was for the people in Ephesus in Paul's day. And that's why we have prophetic ministry. That's why my task and gift, and pretty well my only gift, is to teach what the Bible says. Third gift that's given, oh by the way, and in saying that, um, no, I'll come on to that in a minute. Let's look at evangelists. The word evangelist occurs only three times in the New Testament. Here, in Acts 21 verse 8 of Philip, and in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, of Timothy. In one sense, we are all evangelists in that we all tell the good news. 
But in another sense, I think this probably refers to evangelistic preaching, or in particular, making the gospel plain to unbelievers. Someone wrote this, I can't remember who, I'll just give, quote them. There is a great need for gifted evangelists today who will pioneer new ways of exercising and developing their gifts so as to penetrate the vast unreached segments of society for Christ. We uh, had a wee discussion at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, which was very helpful, to me anyway, in trying to work out how do we reach people with the gospel. We need evangelists. And that might be you, actually. An evangelist, please don't think an evangelist is someone who stands up with a big black Bible in a big stadium and makes appeals. That could be part of it. But we need evangelists in the housing estates, in Charleston and Fintry and Kirkton, and in Brody Ferry and in Tayport and in the West End. We need evangelists in the cafes. We need evangelists in the workplaces. People who can, can in, in evangelism, you can use so many exciting and creative ways seeking to communicate the gospel. May God grant that as a church, we would, there would be many people who would be evangelists. I was trying to think of examples, and I'm going to give an example of someone who I'm having a quick look around is not here, good, so I won't embarrass him. Um, I was so impressed with when we had the jazz uh, folks here, not the last ones, but the one before, the ones from John Piper's church, and we were down in the Tartan Cafe, and Chris Southwick was out on the street inviting people to come in, and boy, was he, he was just fantastic, and just talking to people and sharing with people, and being gracious to people, and warm with people. And I thought, boy, you're just a natural evangelist, or maybe a supernatural evangelist. And that's what we need. And maybe, just maybe, that might be you. And there are pastors and teachers. Are these two separate things? Yes, they are two separate things. Not every teacher is a pastor. We really do need teachers in the church. There are people who can teach and they teach really, really well. And if they were in a kind of adult Sunday school class or in their home group Bible study or um, something like that on a one-to-one, they're fantastic teachers of God's Word. But sometimes they're not all that good preachers. And that's a shame because that's not their gift. And it, it, it's very frustrating for them. And sometimes... They may not be all that good pastors. They may not have the necessary people skills. We really do need teachers. And we really do need pastors. We need the proclamation of the word. And we need uh, leadership, gifted leadership within the church. I'm going to quote John Calvin. I love this quote. He says, They therefore are insane who neglecting this means of building up the church, that is through the proclamation of God's word, the teaching of God's word, who neglecting this means of building up the church, hope to be perfect in Christ, as in the case with fanatics who pretend to revelations of the Spirit. I don't need to be taught. I don't know. The Spirit speaks to me directly. Calvin subtly calls them fanatics. And the proud 
who content themselves with the private reading of the Scriptures and imagine they do not need the ministry of the church. Oh, I'm with Jesus every day. I read the Bible every day by myself every day. I don't need. I can listen to tapes and iPods and so on, and it's me and Jesus, and he teaches me from the Word. I think that God's Holy Spirit does work within people and sometimes brings to light things we would never have noticed, and it's wonderful to have that. And of course I believe in the private reading of Scripture. But the primary means that we learn is through the proclamation of God's Word in the context of the covenant community gathered together for worship and praise and prayer and teaching. My aim always in what we're trying to do here is that you would be taught so that you can go out into the world and wherever you are in this coming week, you will bear witness to Jesus Christ and you will live for Jesus Christ. And that, verses 12 to 13, is why we have these gifts, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Why do we have this? Why do we have these things? So that we can serve. There's a model of the church which we all too readily accept. The ministry of the church is done by the paid, professional, theological trained ministry. The laity receive the teaching, counseling, comfort, and so on. It's the wrong model. The model is this, that you are the ministers. You are the ones who are being trained to do ministry. You are being equipped for the work of ministry. The work of service that's called here is for um, diakonai, ministry, all God's people, every single member. Now, there's a place for elders. There's a place for teaching elders and ruling elders and so on. But my job is not to be a priest. My job is not um, to do all the religious stuff that you pay me to do. My job is to teach the Bible to help and encourage you to discover, develop, and exercise your gifts. So instead of monopolizing ministries, we multiply them. We are not a pyramid, nor are we a bus with passengers. We are a body. And we are, as an entire congregation, a body. And I'm sorry that sometimes the style of worship that we have, that um, it's interesting for me, having been ill and coming in and sitting in the congregation, and sometimes I, I, I'll confess this, sometimes I'm sitting in the chair where you're sitting, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, and I, I know I, even when I think it, I know that it's wrong. But I'm thinking, I'm a spectator, watching or listening to not all particularly great show. And it's just wrong. We're meant to be participating and sharing and, and we're meant to be worshipping together. It's meant to be a sense in which we're all part of that one body. That's why we sing together. It's why we pray together. And it's why um, one of the reasons I wanted to, to split us up like that and just to talk and get to know one another and uh, to talk about our Lord together. This is how we become mature. This is how we have unity. This is how we are filled with Christ. When we receive the gifts that Christ has for us, when we use the gifts that Christ has for us. And I tell you this, 
this church will be absolute dynamite as each part does its work and as each part exercises ministry in the gift that you have. Now again, if you are if you are not a Christian and you're thinking, what is all this about? It's about the fact that you came in here and you're hearing us talk about Jesus and his church and you should probably be part of it. We want you to know Jesus. If you are a Christian, this is about you asking the Lord, how can I serve you? Not how can you serve me, not can how, how can others serve me, but how can I serve you? And the wonderful thing about it is there's not one of us here has even a tenth of the gifts that are necessary to serve Christ. But together, we do. We've each got our own wee bit that we can do. And the teaching you're getting from the Bible is to help you to discover that and to motivate you to exercise it and to encourage you to go out and live for Jesus. We've uh, mentioned this many times and talked about it many times, about how we, we, we say we gather for worship. And uh, I'll never be able to use that word without thinking of Brian, because he always gives me a row whenever I say that. And Brian's partially right uh, in that one. This is true. It is, this is where he's absolutely dead right, actually. We gather to hear Christ's word and to be taught about Jesus and to learn about ourselves and other people. And then we scatter for worship. You're going out of this building to worship. You're going to serve. Worship is serving Christ. You're going to serve Christ tonight, tomorrow, and in the rest of this week. You come here. It's a bit as though you, you're like a car and you need to be filled up with fuel. And then you go out and you burn off all that fuel in... Uh, the serving Christ in the week that is ahead. May God grant that that would be the case for each one of us. Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for your word and thank you that you have given. You gave the apostles and the prophets as the foundation that there are still those who are sent and there are those who proclaim, that there are those who evangelize, there are those who pastor, there are those who teach. And you have given us these gifts to prepare us for works of service that we may become mature, that we may attain unity and that we may receive the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. O Lord, fill us. For we ask it in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org Thanks for listening.